Morning, everybody. Morning. You guys know I like my uh, technology, and I'm trying to uh, adapt to something new here. All right, so we are in James this morning, and um, James uh, chapter 1, and um, you know, as we go through um, our books of the Bible study, one of the things that Daddy and I encounter is really deciding how much we're going to cover, right? We know we're going to eventually cover it all, and how much is considered appropriate for the time we have. It's always kind of a guesstimate. I know teachers probably deal with this all the time. You know, what are we going to, you know, how, how far are we going to get? And um, as I was kind of planning all that, I said, well, you know, it's kind of a natural break after the first eight verses. And that seems like a, a nice chunk to get through. And the more I got in, into it, I realized this is not going to happen. So, um, so we'll probably get through four verses today. And um, and we'll see where that leads us. As I was trying to think of, and I'm not, I'm, I haven't really decided this, but sometimes I try to think of some something to kind of get us thinking about the book that we're in. Um, when we went through Mark, we talked about how quick it was, and they were like little snapshots of Jesus' ministry. You remember that little device and. In Isaiah, we looked at the passages and says, you know, what does this say about us? And what does it say about God? Something to kind of focus us. And I'm not sure what that is going to be uh, our focal point for James, but I couldn't help but think that as I was sizing down what we were going to cover, uh, it's like a, if you ha have a piece of fudge, right? And it just seems like, that's so good. I'm going to take this piece of fudge. And then no matter how much you take, you always take twice as much as you really should have taken. <laughs> right? Because it just, it's so rich. And you just, you only need that little bit. And um, so let's just dive in and, and see where it goes. Uh, some of this by way of review. Uh, Verse 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as Daddy said, uh, James was Jesus' brother. And there's been talk about which James are we talking about, but uh, we believe that this was James, uh, the brother of Christ. And uh, he also mentioned by way of review that we think there's probably good support for an early date of James. Um, we know that James died and. Uh, the mid 60s, uh, 62, I think. And uh, uh, Daddy talked about the Jerusalem Council, and we know we can kind of make some guesstimates as to when that was, and this seems to be before that. Um, so if you if you say that this was in the mid 40s, then we're just looking at 10, maybe 15 years after uh, Jesus' death and resurrection. Um, and it says, "I'm writing to the 12 tribes in the dispersion." Uh, the dispersion, uh, also called the diaspora, refers to uh, this scattering of uh, believers. And it says to the 12 tribes. And when we hear 12 tribes, what do we think? 
Israel. He's writing to primarily Jewish believers, it seems, uh, that had been scattered um, because of some of the persecution that was going. Of course, there was persecution in this day, but then we know a few years later it gets worse, and a few years later it gets even worse. And uh, things don't get really good for Christians for a few hundred years. Um, so he knows uh, it's these are these are tough times. But he says to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Uh, this is what's called a general letter. Now we know when Paul wrote his letters, um, they say you know hey you know this is Paul and Silas and hi Aristarchus and all these people and there's a lot of these dropping names and here's where I've been and that sort of thing. This was more of a general letter designed to circulate among those people, but because it's a letter, um, James knew roughly who he was writing to, he knew his audience was, and, he, and they knew him and his status, so he didn't spend a whole lot of time extolling his credentials and so forth, and, and as a result, as we read through James, we're going to get these little nuggets of fudge there as we go along, and, and some people have a really hard time, you know, we, we like to... Um, have these big themes and outlines and that sort of thing and and um, that's a very uh, western thing to do by the way uh, to try to organize all this material uh, it's not right or wrong it's just kind of what western people do um, but these are little chunks of teaching and um, there's not a lot of introduction he just jumps right in uh, and that's what we're going to do James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have in its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And of course, many of your translations, instead of steadfastness, it says... Perseverance, patience, endurance. I like all of those words. Perseve perseverance, patience, endurance, steadfastness. They, they really, I, I, the reason I like them all is because they, they kind of give you different flavors of this concept, of this, this quality that is apparently should be important. So let's just walk through some of this and um, one thing of course James is so familiar to us right um, most commentators have, have rightly observed if you ask a bunch of just plain old New Testament Christians that that's who we are right your basic evangelical Christians what's one of your favorite books in the New Testament for many of us James is going to show up on that list right why do we like it? Why do why is James so popular? Practical. It's practical. I'm hearing. It's short. It's short. <laughs> you don't have to go through 13 chapters like we did in Isaiah to see where they were heading. It's it you, nice little chunks, right? What else? It's challenging. It's challenging. It's very familiar to us, right? So as we go through, the likelihood of either of us saying, 
a whole lot that is going to be earth-shattering and original, that likelihood is very low, right? But the likelihood of one of you having an observation that maybe the rest of us haven't heard is just as good, if not better. So as we go through these verses, and they're going to be very familiar, right? Um, I want us to teach each other. I know Daddy likes that as well. You know, we like this back and forth. So, so uh, as things come to mind, you know, jot a little note. Um, I, I, I hope that we can always allow uh, time uh, for you to share what these verses mean to you because chances are many of them are, are verses that you've worked through and that you've incorporated and they they probably do mean something to you and I would love to hear uh, that testimony and I, I, I know dad would as well I did come across one thing I, I meant to mention in the introduction why is this book called James I thought this is really fascinating um, most of the time when the uh, when the King James Bible, the first English Bible, was was translated, they were working from Latin and translating it. Um, there was probably some of the original Greek and Hebrew, but there was already a Latin version of the Bible, and and so there was a lot of translation. And most of the time, they just um, really did a for for the names. They just kind of did a transliteration, you know, what is the English version of that name? Well, in Latin, it's Jacob, or the Latin version of Jacob. And um, James is a derivative of that. And I said, well, why is it called James? And some people say, well, you know, King James kind of commissioned this, <laughs> and he probably wanted to see his name there. Um, so, um, you know, uh, he could have said Jamie or Jake or any of the other derivatives of Jacob, but uh, so that's, I mean, it, in the original it says basically James, uh, Jacob rather, and uh, so I, I just thought that was kind of interesting. All right, count it all joy, my brother. So this whole section in verses two through four, um, the focus here is on the trials that we're going to have, and then how we're going to respond to it. So, let's say you're one of these Jews in the dispersion, the diaspora. What would be some of the trials that you would picture encountering if you had been, a, basically, we hear a lot in the world today about refugees. So you're a refugee. What are the trials that you would encounter? Homelessness, hunger, Homelessness, hunger not being a foreigner not being accepted, detached from your normal social network. What else? Language barriers. Language barriers, excellent. Could be separated from your kin, your loved ones. Totally, when this, this dispersion really meant that, you know, there were probably families that were clearly separated. This was not like, you know, I encounter people sometimes, you know, tech workers and so forth, and 
it's very common nowadays to say, oh, well, four out of five days I work from home. Uh, there was no working from home back then, right? So your whole livelihood would have changed. You know, if you had a trade, had a few tools, maybe you could find a job where you got sent to, but, you know, if you were, you know, a business person, all those relationships are gone. Um, who's going to vouch for you? I don't know you. You're not from around here. Why should I trust you? You know, you're disrupted from your family lands. Uh, if you were a farmer, you got no land. Um, uh, financial hardship was really huge. Um, no status. Um, it says, Count all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. So these are people that had already encountered trials. But what's the message, James says, when you meet? What's that message? <coughs> you're, not, you're not done, right? Not yet. You're, there are trials yet that will be coming. When you meet, as you go through life, you will continue to meet trials. So just plan on it. Um, count it all joy so this whole thing about trials there's the reality of the trials we know some of the trials we can I think properly assume what they were like we were saying there are trials that have yet to be encountered the whole point of these few verses is what is going to be our response when those trials come and so the first imperative, you know, the first thing that James is saying, do this. Again, he's right to the point. Count it all joy. Um, this is a, an accounting term. Consider it, some translations say, uh, put it to your account. Do this. Count it all joy. In essence, of course, he's saying... Um, you're going to have to change your thinking about this, right? Count it all joy. This is not second nature, right? We don't automatically say, I got to tell you, this is so wonderful. I was coming to work. My tire blew out. It ran off in the ditch. There were so many people coming, and of course, it was sleeting, but it was so amazing. Let me just tell you how great this was. I was so excited. In fact, it didn't even bother me that I was going to be late to work because I just, I, it was so amazing. Right? That's, that's not second nature, right? And I'm you know, making a point here, but it says, count it all joy. So he's saying, I want you to change you're thinking about this and I think even deeper than that it gets to the point as I want you to see some value here where you don't currently see value right so as we go through this uh, it, he's asking us to value something that we ordinarily wouldn't value. And not only that, he's asking us to rearrange our values. To say, 
this worry about where we're going to eat next and where we're going to sleep next and what's going to happen and who we're going to work for. He's asking us to devalue those things and instead to value something else more. Crazy. Count it all joy. I want you to make a point of it to rethink your perspective on these trials and to value it way more than you're currently doing. And not only that, I want you to have a good attitude about it. I want you to have a good attitude about these trials. I want you to be positive about this. I want you to see some joy here. This is, this is, this is not something easy. I mean, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. I'm not sure there's a more difficult verse that we'll encounter. One commentator said it's worth noting that he doesn't say we should be joyous for the trials, but that we should be joyous in the trials. As I was thinking about this, and I must admit that you know, one of the things I've always liked about what I do is that there's so much variety, but one of the challenges what I do is that you can't keep up with everything. Um, so, you, you know, you, you try to, to get the big things as they're always expanding. But one of the th things that's been so fascinating to me is, is, and I think I mentioned this before, is how closely some of the new discoveries, in quotes, of psychology were in Scripture long before. Um, some of the more, more useful parts of psychology nowadays is is trying to get people to do what's called acceptance therapy or mindfulness where you what are they asking people to do accept what their circumstances are rethink how they feel about those circumstances and realize how much control you have to do that um, this is really high-level psychology that James is asking us to do. Um, and this is going to be something that I, I just, I'm going to ask you to, to really think on this through the week. Um, it's, it's so rich. I mean, I, I feel like I'm basically just introducing this so that you can mull it over. Uh, I think that's going to be real important that we we really uh, uh, Pastor Derwin Gray says uh, in his little tagline marinate on this you know um, and that's that's very much needs to apply the testing of your faith I guess we'll stop there it's a test of faith right this testing is not just a, a test of 
finances or displacement or language or whatever corollary we have in our own life, it's not just a test of what that thing is. It's a test of our faith. Why is it a test of our faith? Why? We don't know the outcome, but I think that's super powerful. It makes us question the whole God thing, right? Is God really good? Does God really know? And of course, we, we get our humanness into this thing and we, we create these false little logic games. Well, if God really knew, and if God really is good, then I wouldn't be in this shape. We'd say that, right? Two. Um, I have the NIV, and when, when yours says count it all joy, mine says consider it your joy. And under consider it, I have a note here from the last time I studied it that says consider it to think or lead ahead, focus on the good in God's plan. And then it references Hebrews 12, 2, which says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who does who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And that just kind of helps me to focus on what I'm thinking of in the trial. Perfect. We can jump ahead Because that is going to be one of the key points here. Um, Hebrews, that was also written to dispersed Jews, makes the point, um, we don't just have some detached God. This question, does God really know and is God really good? is really answered, as you said, in the person of Jesus. He was here. He did endure. And thereby he does know. And then, of course, it's because of him that, uh, not solely, but certainly we know of God's goodness because of the sacrifice that he made for us. Count it all joy. Consider it all joy. The testing of your faith. You got to admit that though, right? It is not natural to thank God for the circumstances that we find ourselves in. It is very natural, I'm guilty, to whine a little bit, or a lot, about your circumstances. Now, does God want to hear us? Of course he does. Does he want us to feel bad in our circumstances so we look to him to get us out of it? Of course he does, right? He says in, in one of the, the kind of the big themes that you'll see as we go through James is very often commentators kind of choke when they try to put James against Paul because there are some differences there. But they also make the point that there's a lot of Jesus teachings in James. Right, um, so you'll hear echoes of these 
these admonitions of, of Jesus in, in what James says. The testing of your faith produces steadfastness, endurance, patience, perseverance, all those things we talked about. And let steadfastness or patience or endurance, etc., have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Hmm. So I'm left to conclude that we're not currently perfect and complete. <laughs> right? Shocker there, right? <laughs> Let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Um, one, of the, one of the challenges that the commentators run into is how to organize this is also how to present it. Uh, I, I haven't quite found my legs on, on this as far as James right now because some of it's not linear, it's more circular. But uh, I, I, to this point, I found one commentator that had a good, good line. It says, God wants to make us patient because that is the key to every other blessing. The little child who does not learn patience will not learn much of anything else. When the believer learns to wait on the Lord, then the, God can do great things for him. Abraham ran ahead of the Lord, married Hagar, and brought great sorrow into his home. Moses ran ahead of God, murdered a man, and had to spend 40 years with the sheep to learn patience. Peter almost killed a man in his impatience. So uh, I thought that was something I needed to chew on. God wants to make us patient because that is a key to every other blessing. What do you think about that? The world's going totally different. They think speed, 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 go faster, faster, faster. That's a great observation, Tim. We, I mean, there's instant almost everything nowadays, right? What's the most crazy instant thing you've heard of? I don't know. I think instant grits may be a blessing of God. So, uh, I had some this morning. Um, they're not the same. I'll admit they're not the same as some good, chewy, takes 45 minutes to cook stone ground yellow grits would be my favorite. Um, there's a lot of instant stuff that it's true, to, I think your point is good, that it's okay, but it's probably never as good as the non-instant part, right? Instant coffee beats no coffee. <laughs> but it's not the same. <laughs> Barely beats a day. So. so, these trials. In my notes, I said, where are the trials? And I said, so often we think that our main issues are external ones. Maybe our main issues are internal ones. You kind of get that from this verse, right? That the internal trials of testing our faith and becoming more patient, we don't think those are our big challenges, right? 
we think our big challenges are, you know, getting our kids to talk to each other or, you know, repairing a relationship or, you know, making the mortgage payment or getting the next promotion or whatever. But James seemed to be saying those aren't your main problems, right? The trials seem to be internal. And as I was thinking about this, the crazy thing is, if we look at our external circumstances, how common is it, I'll just say it, it is very common that we have very little control of those external circumstances. Right? It seems, though, that James is saying those main problems that you have are actually the problems that you're most equipped to work on. Right? We can't change our circumstances all the time. Sometimes we can. Right? Paul told the Thessalonians, hey, you need to work. Right? So that's, they needed to do some things about practical about their circumstances. But James is saying, your real problems are more internal, but those are the ones that God wants to work on. And those are the ones that God has a plan on how to work on it. And of course, we know we have the Holy Spirit. But it seems that so often our external circumstances maybe actually even distract us from working on the ones that we need to work on, right? Something to chew on. One of my points I think we've already covered, you know, why do we have trials? Who do we blame? Whoever said that. Um, One commentator rightly put it, why does God allow the righteous to suffer? It is indeed one of the most perplexing and difficult questions that God's people can ask. James gives no complete answer. But implicit in what James says is a conviction that the suffering of believers is always under the control of a God who only wants what's best for his people. I think that's true. And then another said, this kind of sounds logical. James kind of sounds logical here. Okay, I get it. I'm going to encounter various trials. If I work on my attitude, it'll make me stronger. It'll make me be more patient. Well, that sounds all well and good. But how in the world do I do that? So that's next week, right? How do I even understand this concept? Well, next week we're going to talk about wisdom and we're going to talk about faith. Try to get it all in today. There's no, you just can't right um, so that's next week um, again something to chew on as we're trying to just understand a little, here's a little mental thing to think about very often James is going to say do this do this this is what I want you to do I want you to count it all joy. I want you to understand that your values aren't where they need to be. I, I want you to see where this is going. I want you to do something, right? And we're going to get into some deep stuff about 
what's real faith and how do you demonstrate that and we know the whole faith and works things is coming right so James says do this Paul often says I can't do this I can't do this right Paul's like you know I try I can't I can't you know I can't do this you know when I'm weak he is strong so so that's why a lot of people like Paul stuff because it's all about you know it's all grace and God's helping us and James is like fuck up there's some stuff here for you there's some work to be done we got to find our balance in that so that's one of those themes that we'll kind of encounter but uh, this concept of of um, steadfastness and patience and so forth um, another uh, thing as far as we change our attitude And our values. Here's a Paul verse in Colossians. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Set your mind. So Paul's making a command too, and and he's talking about the internal stuff too. Changing your mind talks in Romans 12 right about renewing our mind James is doing nothing different when he says you got to change your mind about this this counted all joy he's basically saying you need to change your mind and how you think about this and this testing of your faith I, I do think we need to consider the example of Jesus um, Again, as we think about our circumstances, have you ever been waiting or perhaps passed over for a promotion? Think about Jesus. 18 years without a promotion. Think about that, right? He was Joseph's son. Do you think he was the lead carpenter? Probably not. Not in that hierarchy. waiting for that promotion finally got it um, you ever feel bad maybe you know somebody that their marriage didn't turn out like they thought it would disappointment how you think Jesus feels about his bride the church has done some pretty crazy stuff right not the most not the most faithful bride in the world, the church. Ever feel alone? You know, we know Jesus felt alone. Ever feel betrayed? Jesus felt betrayed. Um, you know, we do have a high priest who knows where we are, and James knows that. And that's why he doesn't he doesn't ask us to abandon our faith. He just wants us to think about it this is going to make your faith stronger this testing of your faith some people have made the point that it's approving your faith it's like a stamp of approval on it a refinement of your faith um, I talked to a guy this week who's working at the Hale gold mine that's been cranking back up and he said that they're within a few weeks of pouring their first bar of gold and I said so 
I'm, I mean, I'm curious. I mean, how much is a bar of gold? And he said, well, it's, each one weighs about 50 pounds. And he says when they get in full production, they expect to make two, maybe three bars a week. Well, the current price of gold, a 50-pound bar of gold, is just over a million dollars. I thought that was fascinating. Um, so, but that goal has to be refined. I was, uh, I'm fascinated, I'm gonna have to read about it. Apparently they don't like melt stuff anymore, it's all chemical um, extraction, which is interesting. Um, but that's, this refining or approving of your faith, um, and we'll see this in James, that, that um, part of the evidence of our faith is is how God does get us through these things. It, um, we'll, we'll try to balance that out as we go along. Uh, all right. Well, I promised we'd take a little time. What are your thoughts about James 2 through 1, 2 through 4? Or I might say to listen to me quite a lot this Thursday about a trial that I'm in the middle of, a tooth canal. Right after Christmas, I don't have any money for a tooth canal. <laughs> but, uh, so he said, yeah, I'm guilty. <laughs> I think we older folks, um, not Julie, uh, <laughs> but I think we older folks have an advantage. Um, and that's, I can look back at the biggest trials of my past and I see how God worked through them. And that strengthens my faith. Now, mm. that doesn't mean I don't mind. Mm -hmm. But it does strengthen my faith because I look back and see, you know, he handled that this way. Right. And it was, it was good. So. Excellent. Now, the gray hair, not such an advantage. But. <laughs> when you're at, when you're, when you or in like an airport or something, you get in this really long line, it's so discouraging, and then after a while though, you look over your shoulder and you see how many people you're ahead of, yeah. and it just does make you feel better, right? So when we look back and we see where we've come, like Pat was saying, um, we can maybe agree with God about that. Okay, God, I get it now. I see where you were heading with this. Um, I like the key word is patience. Key word is patience. Mike? Uh, a lot of times people have the opinion that God puts you in these trials. We put ourselves in the trials, and we have to have a strong faith to say he's going to see me through it, you know. But yep. every trial I ever had, it wasn't God's fault, it was my fault. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But at least it let me know He'll give me the way out, and he'll be with me. But yeah. I've heard so many people say, "Well, God puts these trials to you." But my opinion is, we we do it ourselves. I think there's something in human nature that makes us decide who we want to blame. Yeah. Um, Daddy always says, the right to what "Yeah, I'm saying. yeah." And that, Daddy does. But yep. A lot of times we make the wrong choice. Yep. I think He allows us. He allows us to get into these trials sometimes so that he can show us that he can bring us out of it. That very well could be. All right, we're just getting started. Let's close. Father, we thank you.
for these words. Uh, help us to, um, to really uh, turn these over in our minds and meditate on them in the coming days. And we thank you for what you have yet to teach us. In Jesus' name, amen.